a high D profile from outside of your organization is likely going to negotiate salary. And I hear oftentimes business owners coming to me, well, I don't like that guy. I'm not going to hire that person. You know what? I gave him a salary offer and they want to negotiate. And I don't, I don't like that. So now, now we're making a cultures or values decision against somebody whose behavioral style we actually want. We want this person to take a no or an offer of information and interpret that as an invitation for the next level. So now you've got a person who's wanting to do that negotiation dance with you and you're going to shut them down, but that's the person that you actually want negotiating on your behalf when you're struggling to get that $100,000 sale committed, right? Hey everyone, welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. Today's episode features NCG's Director of Operations and Senior Business Coach, Katherine Freeman, joined by Senior Business Coach, Colin Nolan, for a conversation on company culture, but from the hiring perspective. The concept of hiring for a culture fit is one that many of us are familiar with, and the phrase, they are not good culture, or not a culture fit is often widely used for a reasoning to part ways. But what does not a culture fit really mean? Have you defined what your company culture actually is? Are the company values transparent and known across the organization? Are the behaviors for the role being hired for known and truly understood? Too often enough, we can confuse and mistake culture fit with affect that because someone comes off as friendly in their interview, they are the perfect hire for the job, or the other way around. Colin and Catherine work through the complicated matter of understanding how the personality and behaviors of individuals and the role they're being hired for play into the culture puzzle and the importance of building a team based on values alignment. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the hourglass. Well, thanks very much, Molly, for that a great introduction. Uh, I am here today with Colin Nolan, uh, student extraordinaire of the human spirit and who they are and how they work in the workforce. So I'm delighted that he's agreed to join me on this adventurous podcast today. It's good to see you, Colin. You know, I, I tend to like to under-promise and over-deliver. I'm not sure that's going to be possible now, but uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> you always over-deliver. That's, that's the way you operate. That's nice to hear. Yeah. So, so we're here today to talk about uh, something that I hear frequently in the coaching world. And that, you know, as a, as a hiring body, it's something that we encounter as well. And that is, how do you hire for culture? How do you understand what your culture is? And how do you maybe not make the mistake of allowing somebody's affect or how they present themselves color your interpretation of their culture and how they might be a good addition to the team? And what? What is affect? If you could do talk a little bit more about that. Not, oh, sure. Not a, affect, right? Although they're, they're spelled the same way, but right. What, what is affect? 
affect is how somebody presents themselves, really. It's, you know, their ability to smile, make good eye contact. It's, you know, how they present themselves. There's a lot of really good uh, information out there right now on how confidence building, you know, how you, how you hold your shoulders, how you project your voice, how you connect with the person in front of you really can increase your your, well, the opportunity for you to get hired, um, but also helps to uh, lend a credibility to who you are and gives you that sort of in authority in your in your area of expertise. And you know, sometimes a student of that affect can present. I mean, I think of like salespeople; their whole world is about selling, right? So they're mm. selling themselves. That's about affect. And affect has an effect on those around you, right? Sure does. It sure does. And, you know, that's uh, one of the reasons why we always say hire slow and fire fast is, right. you know, even, even in this culture that we're in right now, where people are at such a premium, slowing it down so that you're not hiring because you love somebody is, is going to help you in the long run. So is, is someone the, someone's affect or is affect a part of culture? We, so our culture is we're really expressive here and we have self like Is that a part well, of culture be. or are they different? No, for sure. It can be, right? Because if one of your primary values is customer service, uh, you would want somebody who's got that ability to, you know, connect with a client who, who goes in and establishes uh, an immediate rapport with somebody. And so depending on the role, you might actually want that and be looking for it and, you know, maybe maybe that's a even a, a flip side of the argument, which is if if customer service is a part of your value structure and you've got somebody who's maybe stoic, maybe they're not the right fit. That makes a lot of sense. So it, it definitely can be role specific. Oh, right? absolutely. You want a specific affect for a specific role. Absolutely. But it could it could, depending on the culture you want to set, be culture specific as well. Right. Like. Right. And I I think about the, you know, if, if you've done a pretty significant amount of work on establishing your values and you bring them into your daily life, you should be able to really understand the kind of person that you want to hire for a role. There's also position visions where we actually will say that there are behavioral characteristics or values that are necessary to a role a bookkeeper is a good one, right? We want somebody who's in a bookkeeping role that has integrity and how would a person with integrity act? Um, but pulling it, pulling it back out, if you've got your values established, um, then maybe you wouldn't necessarily be swayed by somebody who is um, a high eye, right? I'm a, I'm a high eye, I'm extremely friendly, right? I go in, I I like to have conversations with people. It's easy for me to make a connection with somebody and that could obscure maybe an area uh, where somebody might need to be detail-oriented. So I've got somebody in front of me that I'm interviewing for a bookkeeper role and I like them because they smile at me. That's maybe different from another bookkeeper. They smile mm -hmm. at me. They're friendly. They want to engage in conversation, um, and I then neglect to follow up to say, you know, how how do you track your details? What is your experience level with Excel? 
what does a current liability mean on your balance sheet? All those things get obscured because you're enjoying this really nice conversation with somebody who's got a high eye. So affect is important, but it, it should not cloud crowd out the other more specific for the position requirements. That's correct. That's correct. And 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 maybe that is part of that values piece. Uh, you when we've we've always talked about our values as a consulting group, you know, the Nolan Consulting Group has a series of values and engagement is one of them. Engagement looks different from person to person and we've got to be able to understand that and and ask questions around it and find out what it means um, without then just automatically assuming that it's all about the smile, right? It's not just about the smile. Although Brian would say it is about the smile for him. <laughs> <laughs> for him, it's about the smile. Um, but I, you know, I think that's maybe when, when I look at this as uh, an idea, when you're going into that interviewing stage with somebody, whether they're an internal hire or an external hire, do you have those values identified? and really understand what they look like. And maybe it's the act of looking at your uh, best employees and saying, this is how my best employee lives this value and keeping that in the front of your mind. And maybe it's looking at your C and D players and saying, this is how this employee doesn't embody that value. And the behaviors that I look for that they're not maybe living up to so that I can very then clearly interview around it or find out maybe why somebody is behaving that way. Um, so when, when it comes to interviewing, if you're in, interviewing somebody who's an internal candidate for a position, you have an idea around whether they're a values fit, whether they're a culture fit, um, you know what their affect is. Mm -hmm. If you're hiring someone who is an external candidate, how, how can you know for sure what their if they're going to be a fit from a culture perspective, or if they really do share the values that you that they they're saying that they that they do, right? Because anybody can put on a performance for an hour, two hour, three hours, even. Right, they right? can. They want something bad enough. Right, and and you know, you brought up a good point when we were when we were preparing for this. You know, of, oftentimes there's a maybe a secondary step that we would we would ask you to take, right? A ride along for a salesperson or maybe a day of shadowing if you're talking about somebody to be that you're bringing in for a field leadership role. But, you know, in this case where we're talking about um, what what are we looking for? Um, I, I think about the disc when I, when I think about this and, you know, as, a, as, um, as an assessment, and as a tool, we get a lot of really solid information from each of those four distinctive behavioral styles. So as a reminder, there's D, which is definitive, direct, I, which is interpersonal skills or influence, S is the steadiness um, with which somebody works and the pace. Um, and then C, of course, is for compliance or attention to detail. Um, each of them are a behavioral style and they present themselves in different ways. And this, I think, is where I get a little worried when I'm talking with a business owner and they're interviewing for a salesperson. Uh, we know that uh, that successful 
salespeople often have a DI profile. We we know that to be the case, that there's the combination of being direct, asking for the sale, um, and friendly, setting up a bond and rapport is really successful in the businesses that we coach. But the problem is that a high D profile from outside of your organization is likely going to negotiate salary. And I hear oftentimes business owners coming to me, well, I don't like that guy. I'm not going to hire that person. You know what? I gave them a salary offer and they want to negotiate. And I don't, I don't like that. But so now, now we're making a cultures or values decision against somebody whose behavioral style we actually want. We want this person to take a no or an offer of information and interpret that as an invitation for the next level. So now you've got a person who's wanting to do that negotiation dance with you and you're going to shut them down, but that's the person that you actually want negotiating on your behalf when you're struggling to get that $100,000 sale committed, right? Well, I would say, why why don't you like it? Do you not like it because of what they're doing or are they doing it in a way that's not appropriate, <clears throat> right? Because right, that's-, that's, that's a very important distinction there because if they're if you don't like the way that they're doing it, then that, that lends itself pretty well to how they're going to negotiate and be on a sales call, right? Right. Um, where, or or just, just the principle of it, which is where I think we would have the argument. Right. And that, and that um, Colin, is a, is a great point. And that's actually, you know, even that affect versus culture distinction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would argue that oftentimes we are, we are saying no or, or feeling that initial resistance on a principle level. Um, and that it isn't necessarily about how somebody is doing it. Now, you know, there's there are profiles out there that um, maybe are more direct, direct and and less friendly about that. And do do we want them in a salary or excuse me in a in a you know price negotiation on our behalf? Maybe not. So check yourself and make sure. And that's and that's really what I what I'm thinking about for all of this that we're talking about today, which is check yourself. Make sure that you're you're going and interpreting it from the right perspective and not just from, you know, I like or I don't like. Um, one of the other areas that I, you know, was thinking about are, are people who are high C's. Now, there are profiles out there. I see profiles are really friendly and very detail-oriented. Oftentimes, though, when we're looking for people in a, a bookkeeping role or a, a support accounting role, their SC profiles and SC profiles can sometimes come across as prickly, right? And so, and so now are we saying, I don't want this person on my team because they're prickly when the reality of it is that that's just how they are presenting. It's just how they are talking to you about their past experiences. It's just how they would in effect be working on your books with detail and precision and maybe a little bit of a questioning, like, why are you doing it this way? And, you know, that, that would be an appropriate role for your business, wouldn't it? It is, it is a similar, um, I guess, question to the, the high D salary negotiation, right? It's like, yes, it's, it's okay if higher C's are perceived as more prickly, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that they can be rude. Right. There's, there's so, so much that you can tolerate um, without them 
just kind of stepping over that line. And I think sometimes business owners tolerate rude bookkeepers because they think that that's just how they all are. Um, they sure that, do. That they, they don't deserve any better. Right? They, they sure do. They sure do. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a really good point as well that, you know, the, the, the profile doesn't necessarily mean that you can be inappropriate in your role. Right. really, I mean, it's, it's, you know, when I think about the uh, field manager who comes on to a job site and maybe she's a high D profile and she's just walking around barking orders, but that doesn't take into consideration. Maybe she's working with a field of apprentices or people who are brand new to the business and who haven't yet learned that there is a, a certain way or approach to a job that we want. And so we can't, no, we can't make excuses for sure for behavioral profiles. Right. To um, me, it, it comes back to intent, like most things do. Is, is this person being uh, curt because that's just their personality or are they being curt because they're actively trying to win the you know, the, the disagreement or to make you feel like they're upset, right? What's, well, what's the reason for the behaviors? Um, and if you're not sure, then ask if it's bothering you well uh, enough to have it kind of be something that you're thinking about. So when, when you act like, like this, what's, what's the real reason for why that's happening? Because to me, it seems like it could be for a different reason than what you might be actually doing it for. If right. that makes sense. Right. It does to me because, you know, that's I, I bring that back to the values. And I, you know, if I if I think about friendliness, if if we've got friendliness as a value in an organization and we are hiring to that um, and we are then also let's think about the salesperson. Right. So now we've got a salesperson who is direct. Maybe they're also detail oriented. So now maybe we're talking about somebody who's a, a DC profile. I want to ask them questions about how they go into a homeowner situation and connect with somebody who's maybe got a different set of ideals from them. Or, or maybe it's about going into a commercial world and having to lay the groundwork for a good relationship. So now I've got somebody who's maybe exhibiting some of those good characteristics and good behavioral profiles that I, that I want but I want to know how they're maybe going to elevate some of those other behavioral characteristics in a scenario. So that's salesperson, but let's, you know, in your scenario of a bookkeeper, if we've got somebody who's maybe um, giving you all the indications in the interviewing process that they're very attentive to details. And these are the scenarios where they've caught mistakes and this is how they've talked about it with their business owners. Oh, okay. So when you talked with your business owner, did you meet the business owner where they were? Like, like maybe the business owner is making a lot of purchases because they're planning for some strategic growth. And so they're buying extra equipment or they're putting, taking money out of the business in order to set up a down payment for a, um, a building acquisition, right? How did you influence the conversation so that you didn't come across as being, I mean, that could be judgmental, right? Mm-hmm. Why are you taking so much money out of the business, right? Yeah, so this this is this is fairly off topic. So I, I I apologize in advance. But do you in hiring do you view somebody's track record 
or somebody's disc profile is more important. If someone had the right disc for the, for the role, but no experience versus someone that had the wrong, you know, quote unquote, wrong disc for the role, but did have evidence of success in the past, who are, who are you giving, uh, who, 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 who's ahead in that, I guess, competition? Gosh, I want to go yes there. That's an or question and I want to go yes. A, a yes to them both? <laughs> I want to go yes. So if I had two uh, distinct, um, two regular, so two, two candidates, let's, let's say two candidates, same role, one with uh, the right disc profile, no experience, one with maybe an alternative disc profile, but relevant or transferable skills, relevant experience or transferable skills. Is that the question? Correct. So in, in that case, I mean, you know, this, this comes maybe from, oh, this comes from my wisdom. Colin, there's pulling in a value, right? Um, this come, this might come from uh, some, from experience, but I think I would go for somebody who's got relevant or transferable skills that I think that I could work with. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll bring in a little sales training here and talk about identity role. Um, I think that if you can work with somebody where they are and they understand that their role requires a certain set of behaviors and they can adapt, then I, I would rather work with that. Yeah. I would, I would rather work with somebody who's confident enough in who they are and understands where they might need to modify their behaviors to be better at a, at a role. Yeah. Um, and so in the interviewing process or in the sourcing process, if we're talking about somebody who's an internal hire, I want to know. So I would expect that in this scenario, you would need to be more detail oriented, talking about transitioning you into a bookkeeper role. You're tired of talking with people. You want to be more behind the scenes. Um, but um, this, re this role requires a lot of attention to detail. And, you know, maybe my assessment here is telling me differently. What do you do? Because, I mean, Colin, we've had people that, that we've worked with, right, in the past who've who've maybe not had the right level of C. And sometimes people put things into place. They put catches into place mm -hmm. so that they, they don't have that. And, and that's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, if, if somebody's got no experience, but they have a great disc, then the disc to me is an indicator. Whereas, which is important, but it's, it's you can have an indicator in a certain direction and have it still be, be wrong, right? Um, so we've, we've seen people with great discs for a specific role not be successful. But if someone's shown in the past that they have been able to accomplish and, and, and hit goals in the given role, despite not having the right profile, then what's, then what's the point even? It's, it's what well, you're doing, you're doing the work. So why do, why do I care at this point what profile is. The profile might be important for when I give you feedback and how I communicate with you, but it's no longer relevant in whether you can do the role or not because you've proven you can do the role. Right. Right. And, you know, I think that that's, you know, when, when I'm, when I'm talking with somebody who's maybe done a disc profile on a potential candidate, um, I'm not the person interviewing them. I'm looking at the results and I'm saying, right. you know, I don't think this person is going to be successful. Um, but you're interviewing them. What did they say to you? If if you're interviewing for a salesperson, 
and they don't maybe have a high D, what are their accomplishments? What are their trophies, right? You know, what, what do they count among their successes? And by the way, listen pretty hard there because what you might identify as uh, um, an award may be not what somebody else identifies at an, as an award, right? When I, when I look at my past career, I measure my accomplishments by the people that I developed and got promoted and who went on to bigger things, who achieved more because I took the time to talk to them, right? That's, that to me is an accomplishment, but to somebody else that might. So just listen for that. Where, what are their awards? Um, what might be other good language if you're, you know, if you've got somebody who you um, are looking for some adaptability and maybe in their disc profile, they're coming up with a high C, uh, excuse me, a high S, um, and you're looking for somebody in a field role who might need to be really adaptable, even just in the short term one day. So tell me about how you go about handling you know, uh, uh, a sales call in the morning and a problem with materials mid-morning and a, a, a problem with scheduling for tomorrow's jobs and somebody falls off a ladder. And oh, by the way, that all happens before noon. How do you do that, you know? Yeah, what, what you're getting at here is, is really just specificity in, in the questions that you're asking, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and this is talked about a lot in the hiring talent discussions, but avoiding what would you do? Um, how, would, how would you handle? And to tell me when, well, what, what did you do, right? And then not, not saving people when they can't come up with something, right? Um, not, not jumping in and, and kind of giving them almost like, a, like an additional hint. Well, you could talk about this, right? Um, letting them fail. You know, Colin, I, it's the, the thing that I struggle the mo most with, but it's the power of silence. Sounds right? powerful. It is. And in the interviewing, this, this sort of ability as a leader to separate yourself from the connection that you're likely establishing with this potential candidate, again, internal or external, to separate yourself from that person and create an intentional space between the two of you so that you can listen carefully for those answers. And you cannot, I mean, I think of, of the mistakes that, you know, I've heard business owners make when they've taken somebody who was a really good fill in the blank and made them a crew leader or brought them into the office or put them into a sales role. Um, it's because they liked them and not because they had mad skills. Yeah, the, uh, the promoting people that you like slash because they've been successful, right? The Peter principle that happens a lot, especially in, the, in, in our world, right? Mm -hmm. Especially given that many of our business owners right now in, in this world that we occupy, I mean, there's a lack of resources. There's a lack of people coming to the trades. There's not a lot to choose from. I think what I, what I would say here, and maybe this even supersedes our topic, and that is, you know, 
just because you like somebody doesn't mean that you should hire them and maybe stick to your guns and hire the right person and not the person in front of you just because they're the only one. Now, now we're kind of coming full circle here back to the, the culture question. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you hire for culture, Catherine? So I, you know, I, I want somebody to take a couple of steps back and think about what does make up their culture. Um, is it, is it one of playfulness? We've got a couple of businesses for whom being playful is, is a, a really core part of their identity. Um, is it, is it seriousness? Is it, is it quality craftsmanship above all else? Is it customer service? Is it, is it a devotion to the community? Um, so take, take some time to identify what it is that makes up your culture and come up with a few words that sort of symbolize it for yourself. So are these, is this different than a company's values? Or are they some, is there overlap? Well, I, I think that a, 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 a pretty dialed in business probably has um, overlap there. They, they probably have done the right amount of work to identify. Um, if, you've, if you identified your values seven years ago and you haven't brushed them off and looked at them, if you're not talking about them every day, if not recognizing maybe that something doesn't match, um, then it's likely wildly different. Um, but I, I'm, I'm speaking here to the, the discipline of your values are, are alive in your workplace and you're talking about them and you're editing them because if they don't work anymore, you should be getting rid of them, should be adding things that do. So, so I, I would say that in most cases, a, a lot of the values do lead to your culture if you're doing it right. So, so step one is stepping back and observing your culture and defining it, right? Mm-hmm. What, what, what's step two? Step two is making sure that you're aware of what words that you're going to ask questions around. So if, if I'm thinking about integrity because I'm um, looking at a bookkeeping rule, now I'm, I'm, that's an, a wildly divergent from, from just saying that culture and values might be the same because you might, you might not have integrity as a value, but so we're, tell me about a time when um, you had to have a hard conversation with a business owner um, because you had found something and you needed to bring it to their attention. Tell me about a time when you acted with integrity, um, when the situation maybe allowed you to not. Tell me about a time when you observed somebody in beha- behaving in a way that sort of crossed that line and you were direct with them. So route three pretty distinct situations that you're asking for. Um, I, I would say that maybe somebody could get away with saying, I don't have a situation for one of them, but I'm, I'm, I'm betting that there's situations um, for at least two of those. Yeah, I just think it's hard. I, um, I think it's really difficult to, to truly know if someone's telling the truth. And because someone who doesn't have or act with a ton of integrity could pull Yes. Now, an example of one time where they did, right? Oh, yeah. And then, and then did they fool you. I mean, I, I, I think it's really difficult to hire for, for, for culture. And 
you know, thinking about this question, how do you hire for the right culture fit? That the I'm, I'm sure there are other ways of doing it, but the thing that really sticks out to me would be being so overwhelming in describing what your culture is and what the expectations are of being in this culture and what the values are so that the person knows that there's no choice, either am gonna fit this culture and am gonna show these values or I'm not gonna work out here, right? There's no faking it more or less. Right. And I come back to uh, the book, The Secret, uh, where the, by, by, by Ken Blanchard, where in the um, example, the, the CEO tries to talk people out of taking jobs right? What are all the reasons why you wouldn't want, want to work here? And that would be one of the reasons because our culture is un, un, where we're unforgiving about our culture, right? You either are going to fit in or you're not going to fit in. Um, and it's, a, I don't, you know, you, you can take people on ride-alongs and get a, a much better sense of them than you would in an interview. But at the end of the day, you could still be hoodwinked. And I think you just have to create an environment where people self-select out, yeah. hopefully, but before they select in. Yeah. Two, two things come to mind there. Um, the one being, yes, on a, on a ride along, like you're, you're maybe going into McDonald's or, you know, another, you're going into a restaurant and how somebody treats the person who's taking their order is going to give you a really good indication of how they're maybe more. It's, it's the spontaneous things that happen when you're with someone where they're not taking calculated time to think about their answer or, what they're going to do, right? It's the spontaneous things where someone approaches them, uh, you know, when they weren't expecting it and how, how they, they act, right? right. How, the, how do they answer a phone call when they weren't expecting this phone call and don't know who it is? Right. Things like that where you're getting a, a, a small peek into who they actually are. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, you know, that, that identifying who the culture is, right? You know, I think um, I was thinking about, I mentioned, you know, playful cultures, you know, Webfoot and Albright and, a couple of years ago, they did this really great dance-off cult, uh, you know, with costumes and singing and dancing, and the production quality was amazing, and I loved every bit of it. Um, but I know a couple of people for whom that might not have been a comfortable. Uh, that would be a fit, <laughs> right? Right, and yet, and yet, that being able to show that to a prospective employee and say, "This is who we are." might mean that somebody could say, oh, no, I'm 100% an introvert. I'm never putting on a pink tutu. You know, I'm not, I'm not going there. It's going to give someone, someone some definitiveness, right? Definitely. Yes. Definitely. No, exactly. Right. Right. But I, I want to go all the way back and, and you, you said something about it is very difficult to hire, to interview for. It is, it's extremely difficult to interview for. And, you know, for anybody who's listening out there, you're, you're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Uh, we all make hiring mistakes and we do as much as we can in order to avoid that for sure. Um, don't beat yourself up when you make a hiring mistake, brush yourself off and move on. Take your lessons learned. I liked this person. So I didn't ask him this question. I should have asked this question mm-hmm. or I let that answer slide next time. I will not let that answer slide. You know, that's, that's the, um, real key is that you do the best you can when you're sourcing people. And re- the reason why I want to make sure that we're not just focusing on whether we like somebody or not, and that we are all that we are asking culture questions and we are considering our values, is to maybe mitigate as much um, error as 
as possible. Well said. Yeah. Well, that might actually be it. That might be all so. that we have to say on that. Um, although I probably could just go on forever. Um, but I think that that's a, it's a, it's a great sort of ending and Colin, I'm really grateful. You know, I, this isn't, this as a topic isn't, isn't easy. And there is, you know, unlike building a budget, unlike a revenue cookbook where you can be really specific about number of people that you're hiring and non-working rate and training hours, there is no sum at the end. There's no formula that's going to be spitting out a magic person. But what I what I would encourage everybody to do is take yeah. all of the tools in their toolbox that they can and apply well, them to people. You know the uh, the the uh, much acclaimed and popular podcast the business is it messy, right? With Brian Nolan and Kat, and uh, Kevin Nolan. Yes. I think that's because people are messy. People are right? messy. <laughs> it's not the systems of the business that they're trying to clean up. It's the people problems of the business. So people are messy, and there there is no you know, cut and dry, dry way of doing it bad. The, the only book on people that, that might work for all is uh, how to women for runs and influence people. Right. Yeah. There's that. But once you're, once you're over that book, you're on your, you're on your own. You're on your own. We could add drive to that. Drive is good. Yes. I think we, I think we could add drive to well that. Said. I yeah. think that that's a universal as well. Yeah. That's, that is, that is a good one. Yeah. So, well, Colin, I really appreciate your taking the time to, have this thanks conversation with me. And uh, Molly, thank you very much. And uh, I hope everybody has a great day today. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.